Hey guys, uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. Uh, this is episode 21 of Coffee with Mirko. And uh, today we're going to have a coffee farmer and producer, Jorge Rahul Rivera. So, uh, yeah, we got a special episode on. So, I really look forward to uh, seeing you guys. Look forward to chat with him. And uh, yeah, basically, today is a different, different than usual. It's not a barista, it's not a roaster. Um, so, it's going to be very interesting. And if you have any questions, especially in regards to coffee, he's a great person to ask this question. So, I'm going to pin the comment down here. Uh, talking with Jorge Rivera. All right. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> hey, Marley. Hey, hey, Christine. Update coming soon. Good to see you. Verato. Good morning. Good afternoon. Um, so, yeah, this show has been going well, and I'm just uh, really looking forward to meet with Jorge and uh, have a good chat so i'll here he is the man himself is in the building so i'm just gonna send him a request hi good morning good, good afternoon i'm not sure what time is in salvador <laughs> afternoon right now here it's 5 p.m how are you? How are you, Jorge? Good to see you. Good to meet you. Great. Nice to meet you, too. Um, first things first, because of this crazy time in the world, uh, how's you and your family with the pandemic and everything? Well, thank God here we haven't had, I mean, at least around myself, I haven't seen anybody get like the really, really bad uh, symptoms. I mean, I've seen people get sick of colds, fever, but nothing, nothing serious. Thank God. Good, good to hear. I'm very, I'm very pleased because uh, it's definitely crazy times around the world. Hope, hope is the same for you in, in Australia. Ah, uh, yeah, we're very lucky here. Um, Back home in Italy, of course, a little bit worse, but uh, it's okay. It's, uh, we, can only, we can only be grateful for what we have. Um, you can hear me good? Yeah, awesome. Perfect. Um, to, to get started, usually I always ask the same questions um, to start things off. Uh, tell us a bit more about your history and the story behind your coffee farm behind Santa Rosa? Well, my history is, I, I went into agriculture because my dad was an agriculture engineer. And like most of us, when we grow up, we see our dads of, as superheroes. And I just wanted to do what he did. And when I grew up, he was like, not really happy that I wanted to study agriculture because agriculture is not a place where you actually make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And there was very, very little opportunities at the time. Because El Salvador is a small country, and therefore you need a lot of land to actually uh, have good jobs in agriculture. And we don't have uh, that many opportunities for, for good employment in agriculture. So eventually he gave up and I actually went into agroindustrial engineering. And after that, 
I graduated, did my graduate studies in economics, came back, found no job, and I started working in finance, in banking and, and in insurance. But then my, dad, my dad's company um, had a, a couple of farms and I started sitting in the, in the meetings and talking and giving my opinion. And then unfortunately, um, we, I mean, we started planting coffee in the 1980s with my dad. But it was until COE or the Cup of Excellence came to El Salvador that my dad thought about actually moving into specialty coffee. And when we did that, we didn't really understand what specialty coffee was. We actually just thought it was just about growing coffee and having a good farm and the coffee should taste good. So it was in 2011 that we, we submitted the first sample, COE. We made it to fifth place and we got 90 points on that coffee. So we thought, well, we don't know anything. It's so easy. I mean, the farm is good. The farm is in a good elevation. Uh, I mean, it, it, the genetics of the trees are very good because my dad selected everything. He did, he did the, the homework behind production very well. He's ex, I mean, he's, he's, he had more than 45 years in experience in coffee. So he knew a lot about producing coffee. But we went that year to the first SCAA and we learned about specialty coffee and we found out that we had no idea of what we were doing and we didn't understand the industry at all at that time. And unfortunately, my dad passed away two months after we went to that SCAA. And then it was only me actually overseeing the project and I started asking questions for, from, from specialists who actually knew more about nutrition, who knew more about processing, who knew about cupping. I had no idea what cupping was. I actually thought cupping was this dismal science that was made up and people would actually lie to you and tell you, this coffee's good, this coffee's bad. Because <laughs> I couldn't believe that same farm could actually produce good and bad coffee. But I started getting, I mean, I got my Q grader really, really fast because I, I, I just wanted to understand what cupping was. And eventually in 2014, we submitted our, our, another sample and we made it to first place. And at that point we were like, that was luck, sheer luck. 2015, we submitted again. And we, when we submitted, we made it to eighth place. But as anybody who wins the first place, we lay low because we actually thought, oh, this is so easy. We just, we just have to do the same thing. We did not reinvent ourselves. But then next year, next year, eh, I told my team, this is not about just competing. This is about giving the best shot at winning first place. So we started developing schedules, like we go 24 seven, uh, when we're in harvest, there's no rest. I mean, there's just, some people rest at one time, some people work at other times, but it's just all the time somebody's looking at the coffee, somebody's tending uh, the mill, somebody's 
doing the harvesting. I mean, there's supervision all the time because I told my team, next time we lose, if we, if we don't get first place, at least we want the satisfaction that we gave it our best shot. I don't want to lose first place and actually start thinking, what if we, we would have done this, if we would have supervised this, if we would have done this, because it takes another year to actually compete. Yeah. So we started doing a lot of, a lot of supervision in, in like little uh, milestones we had within the processing and everything. And eventually, I mean, that gave us three first places. When we had the second time we were awarded first place of COE in El Salvador, uh, some old producers approached me and told me, kid, retire. This is luck. You're not going to do it again. <laughs> this is luck. I mean, don't, don't keep doing it because you're going to burn out. And from being in first place, you're going to end up last. And I told them, this is the second time we do it. I mean, it's science. It's not luck. And then, I mean, we maybe haven't won first place every time, but we win. I mean, we make it to at least top 10. I mean, I'm happy with having a, a top 10 top five, I think it's about showing commitment, about showing consistency, because that's the difficult part of coffee. Some people really think it's just luck. And, and like, I mean, it used to be thought that same way in wine, when they used to say, oh, this harvest was amazing. But now you see good uh, vineyards who actually deliver year after year. So it's not sheer luck, it's science. The thing is, <laughs> coffee, is a new, I mean, it's much newer than, than what wine is. And there's much more research within wine industry than what we have in the coffee industry. And most of the research in coffee, within the coffee industry is private or we do it ourselves. And it's very, very expensive because it takes an, an entire year to actually start doing experiments. I mean, and, and you're in, in Australia, one of the guys who helped us a lot to do a lot of R&D was Sasha. Sasha Sesky from Australia, from Anna. And, and I've always been very thankful for him, not only because he buys our coffee, but because he actually pushed me in the right direction and helped me actually overcome a couple of milestones and a couple of paradigms. paradigms I don't know how you say that in English. Or, or, or way of thinking sometimes I mean, when you're in the coffee industry, you have a mindset where you don't, you, you can't see in another direction. Also, and also, uh, you and you and Sasha with Project Origin started the the best of El Salvador. Yes, yes. A, I actually met with him in. Um, we were in Sweden, and I told Sasha, Sasha, we need to do an auction, and. We need to help producers because COE is going to be canceled in 2016. And he just said, you know what, Raul, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just do this. And that's one of the amazing things about Sasha that he's so driven. I mean, I've always told him he's like a machine. And when, when I used to work in the finance sector, only the people from GE would be similar to him because he never stops. Like when he comes here, I have to take a day off after he leaves. <laughs> Really? It's, he's intense. Like, he's like, boom, boom, boom. Like, you never, you stick, you, you're, you're talking to him and you're coming up with new ideas. You're, 
you're thinking about the future you're i mean you're just it's just this 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 little cloud of of marvel of coffee marvelness that's around them it's just crazy crazy but it's i mean it's it's really interesting and 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 actually it was really funny because i met sasha through john gordon and before <laughs> after meeting john gordon in a coe i met i met sanho park who was the head roaster of square mile and i actually got to i mean some people do ask me there's there's a couple of questions that people ask me like one is i mean what's your what's your biggest milestone and i tell them my biggest milestone in coffee was to actually find the team who was committed to actually do the work and and stay the route but there's another part of the story that people don't understand because this is not just a sheer luck also i think there's a part where god plays a hand because i met a lot of people in the industry in like a year that i didn't even know like a square mile when i met san ho they introduced me to him and they said oh he's the head roaster of square mile and i was like square mile who cares and then a guy came over and he's like let me take a picture and i was with me no 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 with him and i'm like why i mean he's like he works in square mile i mean they're coffee royalty and i'm like well i thought the producers were important <laughs> and then i mean and we were really really good friends with san ho because i mean the the topics we talked about were were very very coffee oriented and very very um how do you say i would say deep it's, it's the same the same talks i had with john gordon i mean john gordon i met once in my life and the the time we spoke it was a very i mean it was like 15 20 minutes but it was so i mean the conversation was so so deep into coffee that everybody i mean i mean he just said i have to introduce you to this guy He's flying over to El Salvador. His name is Sasha Sestik. I'm like, who's Sasha? I mean, I had no idea. And the year I met him, the year he wins the WBC. So it was really cool because I had no idea who he was. But nonetheless, we never treat anybody with anything but our best shot. Like all our customers, like you know the people from Onyx Coffee Roasters too. We met Onyx when they were very, very small. and we treated them like kings and eventually we both grew and they, i mean nowadays everybody wants to deal with them because they're 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 i mean they're doing a good job and i talked to john and john is very happy of our relationship too because he knows we were with them since the beginning and we have never um, from their side and our side it's been a very respectful business relationship because whenever i ask for a prize he'll never he'll never try to bargain or tell me hey i'll give you half the price because they know how much time and effort we put into this and they know Absolutely. how much our team also puts into it and and well we while we're here i suppose can you tell us uh, some of the coffee roasters uh that you work with so that people know where they can taste your coffee uh cafe 504 us in the states specifically but worldwide <laughs> in the states no in the states we have onyx we have black and white okay. we have a coffee labs from new york we also have slate from 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 washington state and we have from spain right side i don't know if you know joaquin oh. he's he was a 
the temp, a roasting temp from from Spain, I think a year ago. From the net, no, I mean from Denmark, we have La Cabra. From we used to have Brennerietz from from Norway, but eh, that relationship was not the best. I mean, sometimes we talk, sometimes we don't. Oh, we have Fidel and Co from from Arkansas too, which is we're actually partners with them. He made us. He gave some stock of the company, and we're really, really proud to actually be part of that company because Fidel is actually from El Salvador, and he and he's also made John and Andrea from Onyx part of the company. So it's it's really, really nice to actually have have that a company as a customer. Um, from Australia, we have Anna. Uh, from from Korea, we have Coffee Libre. I don't know if you know them. A pill from Coffee Libre from Japan. Right now we're talking to Ogawa. We talked to Honey Coffee from uh, where, uh, Fukuoka. Uh, we're talking also to Maruyam. No, no, Maruyam. No, I refer to what's his name? Oh. Uh, Wataru. Wataru. Um, from Russia we have Cafema. Cafema is one of the biggest coffee specialty coffee companies in in Russia. And who else am I missing here? Germany, we have a small, a small coffee shop. In Europe, we don't have a lot of presence because Europeans, unfortunately, I think their economy is not. I mean, it's it's more complex for them to actually buy high-end specialty because their competition is only robustas. And and I mean, they tell me. Our, our competition sells a dollar a shot robustas. We can't do that because if we're buying coffee from you at at six dollars, seven dollars, eight dollars, ten dollars a pound, how, how are we going to compete with ah, you robusta? Can't. It's impossible. And, so, and it's it's yeah. it's funny actually because um, I've had Len Butler on the show as well as Andrea Allen from Onyx, and next week is going to be Sasha. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's a small world. Um, it's uh, yeah. Europe is a diff- it's it's a difficult market. However, I think that um, eventually things will move. Um, you know, we see Gardelli, the Artigianale in my country. Uh, we see Team Windable, Norway. He's been there for a while, but he is, you know, usually go to St. Farms, La Cabra. There's some. You know, amazing uh, roasters in the UK, uh, you know, 3FE and others that we haven't mentioned. But, yeah, for sure we got chances to grow, for sure. And, uh, and Borderless Cafe is really in my mind because uh, he asked a question that I had. Uh, any thoughts on the relationships between producers and buyers in this crisis time? Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I was I was reading I was reading the comments. <laughs> um, any thoughts on the relationship between producers and buyers in uh, during the crisis time during COVID nineteen? Well, in our case, we've been blessed because, like Mike, my, my I mean, the only customer who downsized order was Sasha. Because I, I think I think Australia is having a hard time right now in their economy, and I mean, it wasn't only the the the. The, the virus actually messed with you guys. You had the fires. You had a lot of a lot to go through. So your economy is being, I mean, it's been downsized a lot 
through all i mean all the episodes you've been through and and i i we understand that but fortunately for us we are very very well related to our customers and we have good customers in asia and therefore asia has been one of the parts of the world that's been less damaged by this virus so like united states even united states like onyx andrea and john they 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 their order i mean they're right now we're talking about sending more samples and they're upgrading their order from what we started talking about so we're very very happy because our customers even though some of them have requested a, like russia and in korea they requested not only high end coffees they also told me you know what raul i need also to get some fillers in so i need to get some coffees that are or of a lower category because i need to i mean they need to make money and in some cases even though maybe their 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 businesses have been hit hard they've lost some of their markets so they still need to pay wages they need to pay, they need to pay rents they have their fixed costs and and they're much their fixed costs are much higher than than what we pay here so we understand that and we i talked to my my fellow producers because I'm, i'm also the i became president of my mountain range so so i oversee several producers and we help out i mean it's part of giving back because it's not only about for for us our business is not only about taking we like to help out other producers and right now there's a lot of coffee being like just left to die so we are trying to find coffees a home and our customers tell me all right i'll take in some of it but it has to be at a discount but nonetheless i tell my my fellow producers it's better to have a dollar in your pocket than just to have the coffee rot and and i mean i know it's it's hard for them some of them tell me raul this is a very low price but i tell them i mean the market's what it is i mean i can't we we can't do anything i mean nobody could nobody had a crystal ball to see this virus come through and actually affect the economies of the world and i mean there's a lot of politics behind it too so i mean yeah it's it's complicated but in the end we're just producers and our customers are just owners of mid to to small businesses i mean there's so only so much they can do and we try to support everybody as much as we can and i think i think um, what you touch base is uh, it's actually a problem that's been existing in the coffee industry for a while because there is so much work behind one single cherry of coffee um that coffee should be treated just at the same level as wine i used to work in the wine industry 10 years ago and you know uh, the process and the work behind wine and coffee is quite similar in a way i think coffee is a bit harder in my opinion because i've seen it but um the price is just the gap is too high because people would not pay 10 for a glass of coffee but they pay 15 20 for a cup of wine do you do you see do you think the gap is a bit too wide i think there is a gap but it's going to start to shorten because i think in the future specialty market is i mean it's growing by the minute i mean 
when I started in this, the same guys who told me, hey, kid, retire from COE, same, <laughs> the same guys, they told me, hey, kid, and stop, stop aiming for specialty. I mean, specialty is just a fad. It's going to go away just like organic, just like fair trade went away. And I told them, no, 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 this is very different. Because when you talk about quality, human beings are very, 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 uh, how do you say, once you try the good stuff, you don't go back to, 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 to the cheap. It's in, in, in the best example, I always talk, I mean, some people like it, some people don't like the example, but Apple is a very good example of what happened in a commodity market. I mean, they came into the technology market, which was commoditized. Everybody was selling computers, but they sold something made to endure and would, that would not give you any trouble. It was user-friendly. It was totally different, and it was good for the customer. It's the same thing with specialty coffee. Once you try specialty and you, and you go back to commercial, commercial coffee is disgusting. And, 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 and I've seen it. I, here, I see it every day. And, and I'm talking about a third world country. I give people my coffee and I, and I start teaching them how to drink. And normally they'll tell me, you know what? You screwed me over. I can't drink coffee anymore the same way I used to drink coffee. <laughs> and now I drink, I go to a place and they give me this cup of coffee and I just say, no, no, I can't do this. My personal, I, I, I train in a, in a gym and my personal trainer, I, I give him coffee the other day. And he was talking to another guy, and that was so funny because I was looking at him, and he's like, the other guy was like, I drink any type of coffee. And he just looked at him and said, you know what? I can't do that anymore because I met this guy, and it's so difficult for me now to have just a regular cup of coffee because when I drink it, it's just, like, annoying if it doesn't taste the way his coffee tastes. It's like, it's like when they say... Uh, once you experience first class or business class, you can't go back to economy on a flight. That's just the same. <laughs> and more on a, on a long flight. I mean, if you're flying to Australia and you did business, I mean, I tell you because the first time I went to, to, to Asia, first time I went to Asia, I was lucky enough to actually fly to Taiwan. And a lot of people don't know that. But when you fly from America to Taiwan, there's very low, I mean, cheap flights. I mean, I flew for like, I think it was two thousand, like one thousand seven hundred dollars on business, and wow. and then the next time I think I flew to Asia, I don't remember, but I had to do a long flight and I couldn't, I didn't pay business, and I was like, what? This is not, this is not human. I mean, and I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm a little, I mean, I'm almost one ninety. I'm, I'm, I'm a little taller than maybe Sasha, but a guy my height in that economy cabin for more than 10 hours you want to kill yourself <laughs> i get you i get you um, now for sure i think um we 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 definitely gonna try to see a, a projection of growth within specialty i i think part of the process will also be a complex amount of things like transparency uh, re reduction of white coffee an increase of black coffee and you know it'll have to be everyone in the chain has its role for sure to make this happen and um just can you you know can you tell us a little bit what what, what do you love the most about running a coffee farm i mean part of it is i always tell people i really like plants because plants don't mess with you and i mean when you work with nature it's really really nice to see that when you're actually into it 
and you understand what you're doing and you actually understand the interactions you do as a human within the environment and you have a positive impact within not only the environment but also that community of humans that surround you it's really nice to actually see how how people talk about what you're doing and actually talk in a good manner because i used to work in finance and i tell you i mean i see banks making a lot of money i see insurance companies making a lot of money but there's no soul in that i mean there's a lot of people who actually end up having no money because of a bank or or being ripped off because of an insurance company who actually doesn't want to pay so it's really sad to actually see how human beings prey on each other and actually just want their money and uh, even though even though uh, even though we we have to actually make a business out of it we try to be we try to be as more lenient or or humans with uh, our fellow producers and help them out as much as as we can because we're in the same boat we're all in the same boat and that's one of the things a lot of people don't understand i mean earth is the same boat for everybody and we should stop thinking about uh, borders and and religions and 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 in political parties and we should start thinking more about how can we help this place to be a better place not for only us but for our children for our grandkids for our neighbors for everybody yeah i i i couldn't agree more i that was that's one of the next questions as well where we're going to talk about sustainability and uh, I, i you know I'll, i'll say it until until It's my last day, I think. You know, chasing money is just it's almost like chasing the devil if you believe in the devil, you know, it's like it's about you know, passion and love and do what you love the most. And uh, whether it's people and community or coffee. So some of these other industries like you said, finance, insurance, I mean, nothing against them personal, but a lot of times the view of uh, coldness, there's no warmth. Um, so it's almost better making half of what you used to make but do what you love for sure exactly and and i had i had to make that choice when i moved from from agri- i mean from from finance into agriculture i mean i could be making much more money in finance but like you said i mean at least i'm happy i sleep well I know a lot of people care for me and and I mean I think there's more to life and I always quote for his gump on that one because he he's I mean he said like his mom always told him that there's only so, so much money you need to actually live the rest is actually just to show off and I think we should all take that advice we should all take that advice because a lot of people dedicate their lives just to actually accumulate wealth and they don't even spend it i mean they they don't even have the time to spend it and enjoy it because all they worry about is actually making more money 100% 100% couldn't agree more and and while we are while we are on the topic as well um i think it's important for people to know because this is going to be watched again on youtube and podcast but can you tell a little bit of viewers you know what climate change you know what what is it become more challenging for coffee producers when it comes to 
global warming and climate change? That's a very, very good question. And that's one of the things my fellow producers sometimes don't understand. Because unfortunately, the literature of coffee, the literature that is available is normally 50 years old. And they talk about different shade, uh, how do you say, like you should grow, when, it, when shade grown coffee and you need shade, they talk about 30%. But global warming has made it so warm that if you only quality you, you should you, I mean you, you should be aiming for in a specialty market because the 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 country I mean the the world has gotten much warmer and therefore it's impossible to actually uh, make the metabolism of the plant uh, go to the level you wanted to actually produce specialty coffee. Yeah. So, so, I mean, a lot of people have to take that into account when they go into specialty coffee because they need to understand that it's not only about growing coffee, they actually need to tend a forest and they have to learn the interaction of their shade. Some people call it the terroir effect or the French like to call it that in a fancy way. But that, that in, if you put it in scientific terms, that only means that you have to understand how the trees you're planting above your coffee plantation are going to interact in a positive. We are losing you. Hopefully it reconnects. This is a very, a very important and very interesting topic. Hang on, we got you back. You froze for a bit. Um, yeah, you were talking about the uh, relationship between planting coffee and you know, uh, stay together in a well, uh, uh, you know, in in a good way with harmony uh, within the forest. And in the end, in the end, it's all about the harmony and the in in maintaining harmony not only with the forest but also with the humans because. You need to work with the communities and you actually need to work in a good way. Because if, if in specialty coffee, I always tell people, that's another thing, a customer from Germany, Cuatro Cabezas, I think is the name of the of their shop. Tres Cabezas, I don't remember. The thing is, he told me once that um, he said, Raul, I mean, do you have fair trade? And I said, no, no, I don't have fair trade. Do you have organic certification? I said, no, 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 an organic certification. And he's like, so what do you do? I mean, what do you have certification of? And I said, no, I have no certifications because eh, I do specialty. And specialty is about quality. You can't bypass any, any, there's no shortcuts. I mean, you need to treat, treat well the environment and you need to treat well your, your employees. If you don't do that, then you are going to have problems with yeah. quality. Because if your employees are not well paid, are not, are not, I mean, are not happy, they're going to have to treat the coffee in a bad manner. And if you treat bad the environment, even though you're not, I mean, you're not organic certified, you have to do that 
because if the trees get poisoned by the excessive amount of chemicals, I, then your yeah. compost goes to hell. And I, and I also think when it comes to the environment, you know, uh, it's about how conscious we do our day-to-day -day life actions because, you know, a lot of people don't want to compromise on their lifestyle, but agriculture, animal agriculture has a huge impact on, on the environment because we got to feed 77 land animals, 77 billion, please, you go ahead, um, 77, 77 billion land animals, you got to feed the animals to feed the humans, and it's, it's, you know, that's one part of it, so then you get a lot of deforestation because you got to create crops for the animals. So it's, it's a big topic. And I think it doesn't, it, I think the fair trade and uh, organic is just a little label to make people feel better about what they purchase. But I think- And, and I tell you, you I've, know, seen, uh, I've seen people who are certified who don't even treat well their employees or who don't even treat well the environment. So, I mean, there's no guarantee. In the end, the only guarantee is quality. Because yeah. you can't bypass. There's no shortcuts. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I, 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 I'm, I'm. Yeah, this is a topic that I'm passionate about. Um, I'm passionate about coffee, but this is a big one too. I think it comes down to the single individuals with their daily choices, because the consumer is the person who actually runs and regulates the market. You know, I, you know, if if we all buy, say, carrots from a plastic bag the producer will keep put the carrots in a plastic bag. If you buy the loose ones, they'll be like, hey, there's no demand for plastic bags. We're just going to give it loose. That's just as simple as that, 100%. Thanks for sharing what you just said. I think it's really important. And um, can you tell us then how important is for you innovation? Because my father is, uh, is as well in agriculture, so, um, but not in business, more as a pleasure. That's his passion. And, uh, you know, for, for you, innovation, how, how, how important is that when it comes up to processing and also the entire operation? It's not just the processing of the coffee, but innovation is a big element. What you said is pretty much the essence of coffee, I mean, of every business. And that's one of the things a lot of, a lot of farmers do not understand. I mean, we're no different than the technology industry. We're no different than any other industry. Because if you start inno stop innovating, you stop existing. And that's what happened to commercial coffee. They just stopped innovating. And that's what's going to happen to them in the end. They're going to stop existing. Or they're going to become a lesser good or, or a good, a substitute good for coffee. I mean, it's just going to be a product that people are going to consume when they can't consume specialty coffee. But... Innovation is the heart and soul of our company. We do, I mean, ever since we started Specialty Coffee, we do more than 100 experiments per year. Uh -huh. And, I mean, some of them are very small amounts of coffee and some of them just end up being a waste of time. But in some cases, we won COE with new experimental processing. And we've learned a lot from how we play with the fermentation, how we play with the post-harvest, how we play with uh, the ripeness of the cherry, how we play with several variables we have within the mill, sun exposure, temperature, pH, the type. I mean, Sasha gave me 
something that was one of the most valuable tips. And I always tell people, I mean, normally I don't give away like tips, but the one Sasha gave me, since he gave it to me for free in a way, I always tell them, I mean, the first thing a lot of people tend to look over and not pay attention to in their mill is just the type of water they used to wash their coffees with. I mean, people think, oh, it's just water. I mean, when you ask them, I ask them, so what type of water do you use? And like, oh, it's drinkable water. It's clean water. It's, it's, it doesn't have smell. And I tell them, do you, do you check for pH? Do you check for, for PPM? Do you know what minerals are in the water? I mean, do you know what's happening to the coffee if you use that type of water or if you do use another type of water? And they just look at me like, I never thought about that. <laughs> And, and I mean, just the water in the mill is an entire universe. And then when you start looking at the mi microbiology within the mill, that's two universes apart. <laughs> yeah. and, and people don't understand. And people tell me, but Raul, come to my mill and explain to me how to do it. And I tell them, I can't do it because I work within a universe. So I can go to your mill and I can do experiments. But whatever I do is just going to show me which way I should go, but it's not going to give me, I mean, I can't, I, I don't have a recipe, a universal recipe that's going to work here in Peru and Australia where, I mean, wherever coffee's grown, it's not going to work that way. It's just going to be something that I can replicate within my mill and hopefully within time, because if, if conditions within the mill change, then everything changes. And I have to, I have to find a way to accommodate for those variables. But I have to be able to see, smell, and, 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 and have a notion that things are happening within. Because, I mean, maybe there's more humidity in the environment. So therefore, my bacteria are going to, or, or the fermentations are going are to be different than when I have less clouds. Or it's, it's been more, it's been less humid. It's been, it's been more dry and it's been more hot. So fermentations tend to be, are going to be much more aggressive because the temperatures go higher. So you need to, to start overseeing all these variables and know how to accommodate them to actually uh, maximize your cup quality. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think innovation, there's a, there are always two ways. One is the good way, which is about, you know, bringing happiness and bringing, quality making life easier for workers or for the plants and then you got the bad innovation which is all about making money uh but purely making money so it's like you know i hope that we'll never see grown coffee in a lab like the grow meat in a lab now but who knows i mean technology is there probably to do it um but i think i think when you have that harmony between like you just said between the producer, the farmers, and your actual universe, then there are still so many elements that you can't control because, you know, none of us is God. Uh, so it's like, like you said, one degree humidity, there is, there is a lot to it. And that's where, and that's where I think all this education and all the things that you've been saying is going to help the people who, you know, drink the commercial coffee and they understand how much work and how much science goes behind. It's not just dig a hole, Put a seed, the tree will grow. I'll see you in 10 years. <laughs> no, and, and in the end, what you mentioned within a, the, the comparison with the wine industry, I see what I think Sasha also sees it the same way. I think in the future, coffee mills 
are going to have to be the same way uh, the wineries are. Everything's going to be closed. And you're going to control temperature. You're going to control the fermentation. You're going to control everything because that way you can replicate. The thing is, we are in, at the, right now at the tip of the iceberg in research. So there's very, very little information. And there's very little we know about what will affect or what will maximize cup quality within every mill. So the more we, we evolve, and this is going to be in five years, maybe, mills are going to start being shut. Like everything's going to be enclosed, temperature controlled, and you're going to be control, controlling all the variables, therefore replicating year after year the cup qualities. But the prices are going to be absurd. I mean, and it's, it's about time the coffee is appreciated the way it should be because if you look at the real prices and you take into account inflation, Coffee prices are like the worst uh, commodity in the history of humans. But specialty coffee has made a good point within a appreciation of the, of the commodity. Yeah. And I, and I think we go back to exactly that consumer connection with the market. Because I was in Italy a few years back. I went back to visit my family and I went to, uh, I met with, uh, specialty coffee shop uh, two hours away from my town. I didn't drink coffee for the entire holiday until I got there and I drank, uh, you know, like a stupid amount. Um, and we were talking and I told him, look, I work for this coffee roaster in Australia, blah, blah, blah. Um, ask him, tell me about pricing. I said, look, I know it's not professional, but tell me how much you pay for your coffee versus how much you would pay for a commercial coffee. And it was, it was scary and sad because the commercial coffee was actually more expensive than a kilo of specialty coffee here in Australia. Wow. And we go back because the demand. So basically their specialty coffee kilo price for a coffee shop in, in Italy is very high because the demand is so low. So now the commercial coffee can still be quite high in price in Italy, which is which is quite ironic uh, in a way. But um, look, um, I like what you say that I think uh, we, we can control and buy what we, what we purchase. That, 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 that's simple as that. And uh, it's sad about coffee because, let's be honest, different countries, different cultures, I get that, but everyone or a lot of people drink one or two or three or four or five cup of coffees per day. But they might drink one glass of wine every second or third day, or they drink it just on Friday. So it's, it's interesting for sure. Um, Barista Art Page has a question. Yeah, sure, you can drop it in. Um, we are nine minutes away from the hour, but you know, I know you're a busy man, so I'll, I'll get these questions out of the way before anyone asks more questions. Um, I'll combine them together. Uh, do you are you currently growing any new lots? Are you working on new lots? And what's next on Raul's planet? Our, I mean, we are do, we are growing currently varietals like geishas, like SL28s. We have several varietals we're trying to test out. Our our name worldwide has been made by one varietal, which we're very proud of it because it's El Salvador developed it, and it's a Pacamara. So we're very well known worldwide for Pacamaras and, and, and we've managed to actually understand the varietal, not only 
in the agricultural part, but also in the processing part. And we are happy to actually continue to actually work with that. But we don't want to, we know, we understand that, like I told you, if we don't evolve, the market is going to destroy us. So we want to look into geishas. We, we want to look into SL28s. We want to look into other varietals and see if we are not missing something or continue doing our job in R&D in Pacamaras and, and, and make them even better than what we have made them in the past. And within projects right now, it's mainly going back to the farm. And I, I just want to spend more time in the, in, in the farm and, and oversee what we have created because the people who have been at the farm understand that we had no infrastructure six years ago. Right now we have a mill, a dry, a dry and a wet mill. We have a place to stay. I'm working on having more places to stay because there's a saying in agriculture and the best fertilizer in agriculture is the presence of the owner. So the more I'm at the farm, the more things are going to work better. And, and I just want, I mean, I want to start a school of uh, agriculture for the future generations in the region I tell them I have no kids and I don't have at the point at, at the time somebody who's going to oversee what we're doing so I want the community to take over and actually work and make the region like what Poquete is for Panama it, my region become that for El Salvador because I think we have the capacity it, and we have the people who are actually there all the time because my, my region has a particular thing is the farmers live at the farm as opposed to other regions where the farms are a bit bigger and the farmers tend to actually commute from the city to the to their farms. So I think, and my farmers actually have very low income and very low education. So I want to give them back and I want to, part of how I want to transcend through history is through them and have their kids be taught by me what I know about marketing, what I know about production, what I know about processing, and then eventually just leave it to them to actually continue developing the region as one of the best coffee regions for El Salvador. That's, that's beautiful, man. I think giving back and uh, we, are, we are in the people business. Uh, we tend to forget that sometimes we focus on on the cherry, on the harvest, on what's in the cup, uh, on latte art, but it's, it's still about people. So for you is your community and the coffee community is global, I think. And I think during this pandemic, we really saw that with people getting together and sharing and doing different things for the community. And uh, uh, one of the previous comments was, uh, uh, Raul is the king of Pacamara. So <laughs> I, think, I, think that's quite, uh, I think that's quite correct there. Um, for um, Barista Art Page uh, has a question uh, on how much, you know, how many grams to make the perfect V16. Uh, Barista, we actually had a, we had a interview with Devin Long yesterday. You can rewatch it if you want. His ratio is 1 to 16.6. Um, so that's his ratio. So you might want to look at that. But what's your recipe, uh, Raul? It's... Uh it's one of the things I, I, I agree with Sasha, and we, we had a talk with Alejandro Mendez, who's a WBC from El Salvador, 
And Sasha, we were sitting in the same place and, and Alejandro asked me, I think, so what's your favorite method for brewing? And, and I said, well, for me, it's French press. And Sasha looked at me and asked me why. And I told him, because that's where I showcase what I do. I mean, if I put a filter on coffee, I'm taking away part of what I do. And we work very, very hard on our coffees. And I assure you, a Santa Rosa coffee will look great on your cup if you know how to do a French press with an Espro or with a... I, I even bought in Japan, the way Honey, uh, Mr. Honey does it, the Isaki family, is they have this little mesh, like little percolator, and they just, they just decant. And I mean, when you're talking about a coffee that's that good, I think you shouldn't be messing with filters. That's my opinion. And Alejandro said, oh, I like the, I like, the, I think he said either the 60 or the Chemex. And then Sasha, the question came to Sasha and Sasha agreed with me. He said, and you can ask him, ask him that question. And he said, yeah, it's the French press because that's the closest you get to cupping. And if you're picking coffees on, on, on how they cup, why should you be putting a filter on them unless it's for a competition? Yeah, I, I, I see, I see it 100%. It, it's interesting. And also, I think, I think my, my answer usually around recipes is the one that makes you happy. I think uh, whatever tastes good for you. And look, I think the same coffee with the same recipe, but drunk by yourself or with a friend, with family, on your birthday, on a hot day, on a cold day, there are so many elements to the overall experience uh, that also give you that memory of like, oh, wow, that was an amazing cup of coffee. Well, it was, but it was also a good time that you had within uh, that environment, within your universe. I like that universe concept. I think we all have our own universe. And um, I think that's where grammages and, you know, things can be like a bit, but look, I respect. Well, you know, I respect the art, and if someone you know wants to wants to get it, and look, Devin Long or other amazing people out there competing or not, you know. But, but sure. don't get me wrong. I've had like the the national champ brewers champ here is using. His, I mean, he's he's picking his coffee, and he came over to my lab. I mean, if you're that dedicated to actually brewing a coffee, it's it's definitely gonna be good. I mean, the guy is looking at the at the. Uh, I mean, how how he grinded it. I mean, the temperature, how he's going to, I mean, how he's going to pour. And it tastes really, really good. I mean, the, the way that he does the extraction, I can tell you he maximizes everything. But on a day-to-day, -day, I mean, you're not a barista champ. I mean, you're not a brewer's champ. There's no way you're going to have that amount of experience. I mean, you could if you take your time. But yeah. it's easier... If you cupped and you selected an amazing coffee, in my opinion, it's easier and more practical if you're, if you know how to do an amazing French press, than 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 to actually go into all this. I mean, all this stuff is surreal. I mean, in in the real world, I don't have as a farmer, I don't have the time to do all this. It's Every like I suppose it's like um, I don't know if you try to make a Fiat look like a Ferrari, it's just not. Uh, sometimes I think you're right. The the actual uh, the actual uh, ingredients that you're working with is actually what makes it. Because uh, it, it's it's you know yesterday we were talking with Devin and uh, 
Lewis, one of the viewers, made a comment about a particular coffee that they enjoyed. And, you know, they used the, I hope you're not going to get offended by this, but, you know, this comment was like, you could not fuck up that coffee, no matter what you did to it, because it was that good. And, and that's where you go back to, to that quality. I think a lot of people are trying to make a not-so-good coffee to taste good, but really you should just get a good coffee. Ultimately. Exactly. Exactly. Good coffee. What you said is true. And it's the same for roasting. That's what I was talking to roasters about that. And they tell me, I mean, when you have an amazing coffee, it's very difficult to mess it up. But when you have a really bad coffee or, or an average coffee, if you screw, I mean, if you mess up a little bit with something, you're going to mess it up. But there's some coffees that are so good, even a rookie roasting, it's still going to taste good. I mean, some coffees are just that good. And that's the good thing about specialty. When you, when you deal with that, it's very difficult to mess it up. I mean, once you buy a good coffee from Panama, a good coffee from El Salvador, and, and I, it doesn't have to be for my farm. I mean, there's very good specialty producers within the region of Central and Latin America that have made a name. And I mean, I'm, I mean for me, and some, some, some people ask me, other than your farm, and, and your origin, what, what other, other, other origin do you enjoy? And for me, Panama is, is amazing. I mean, I've had such good, good coffees from them. And, and, and I have so much respect for the way they do it. I, I'm very good friends with Ricardo Coiner. He's also, he also went to my undergrad. And we get along very, very well. And we have the same vision about colliding and moving together as a coffee industry, at least as producers and working together with uh, buyers because we do understand as farmers that the more we push the front end of the line of the coffee industry the more we are jumped i mean we, we can we can hijack and get better prices get better access to better things for our employee employers i mean uh, employees employees yeah yeah gotcha. because because and that's the, that's the thing that's that's why like I told you, I mean, we believe in developing everything because if we don't do that, I mean, this is not sustainable. 100%. I look, um, I read a comment from John saying about, you know, of course, for beginners, you know, to have a reference baseline helps 100%. We, I think what we're trying to say is that, you know, play with it, experiment, and when you find what you like, you know, sometimes... Certain recipes happen by mistake, like meringue. I mean, I don't eat eggs, but, you know, certain things happen by mistake. You might find the next best recipe for coffee that not even barista champions have thought about. So I think coffee is, is, good, to, is good in that way. And uh, now, th thanks for sharing that. Look, I'm, I'm always scared about when it's a minute away from the 60 minutes uh, because then Instagram gives you 30 seconds countdown and then it shuts it. And I know you're busy, so I don't want to no, hold no. you. Um, but let me tell you before I leave you the I leave you the stage. Um, thank you. I'm very, very, very grateful for this chat. It, it was um, super enlightening. Uh, it was really, really insightful, and, I, and I'm really sure that a lot of people are going to find lots of value in it. We covered lots of topics. Like we need to do this again in a couple of weeks, man. Like for real, I, I really enjoyed I it. You. I'd love to do one at the farm if you want, so I can show Yeah, you. let's do it. Yeah, 100%. So thank you. Like, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, it was really good. I could really relate. And 
Um, I'm hoping to see you in Melbourne. I'm not sure if you're coming to Melbourne for the WBC, but I'll be here. Um, if not, I have to come to El Salvador. But um, it's actually 15, 12 seconds remaining, I see there. Um, yeah. Thank you very much, Raul, for joining. You're a legend. Thank you, and thank, thank for all your audience and, and all your friends.